0: Uh, I'm going to need to find some sound effects, but that is not your problem. That's a problem I made for myself. That's my favorite kind of problem. It's the majority of my problems these days are all self-made. I
1: don't, I don't have an excuse. Well, you know what? I I actually take that as a, as a point of, of something I need to do. So I'm going to make more problems for you. See, I
0: gave you work. You're welcome. So in a way I've actually made more problems for myself through you you're double welcome (laughs) yeah all right fine hello alleged human and welcome to the chaos lever podcast not the um virtual giraffe podcast nope chaos lever that's we're sticking with that one uh my name is ned and i learned what a lariat was yesterday my word of the day calendar is really paying off or should i say recompensing ah no really should I oh they never use that in a good sense oh well anyway uh with me is Chris who is also here let's talk about some tech garbage hey, it
1: Chris. was
0: secure virtual giraffe it was that it was secure and I guess yes it was it was secure virtual giraffe uh you know what people are just you know they're getting on board with the cast lever they're learning about the podcast so we can forgive some small mistakes. I'm only going to burn down half of his house.
1: That's fair. That's fair. The old part, though, right? Uh, naturally. Yeah. 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 It's like forest management. You have to set a small fire every couple of years.
0: It's a control burn. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Except for, you know, getting our podcast name wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was also a controlled burn. Oh, think, about, think about, it. about it. Think about it. All right. So,
0: Uh, Today we're going to talk about Security Field Day some more because you had more thoughts, more than could be contained in a single episode. Also, nothing else interesting
1: happened. (laughs) There were bongos. Wait, no. (laughs) No, (laughs) Wrong conference. Sorry. Um, Yeah, so this is just part two. Continuation of last episode's rundown of the seventh edition of the Gestalt IT Security Field Day event held live and in person, March 23rd through the 25th of 2022. As a reminder for people who want to see the full details, including recordings of the sessions, they are available at techfieldday.com event slash XFD7, as well as through a handy dandy Twitter hashtag, hashtag XFD7. So we did a rundown of the event last week. I'm just gonna cut short here and get right into some sessions. Uh, If that's all right with you, Ned. I had things to say. Yeah, I had. Had. Had.
0: It's over. It's fine. It's all fine. I'm going to burn down half your house. Then I wouldn't have a house. (laughs) That's your fault for living in a duplex. I live on. on. I
1: live at 1.5 Zeno Street. (laughs) So we touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to touch on it again because I don't think we covered it as a concept. And really a lot of the vendors talked about interconnectivity. So for security, the theory goes, for security to work at maximum effectiveness, everything has to talk to everything else. Or at the very least, one thing has to collate all that data for threat assessment. According to many of the presenters, the interconnectedness of this Anonymous, we hope, mass sharing of telemetry data and logs of all of the things and actions is an essential part of modern threat detection. Which you can kind of get, right? If you have one device that is super duper secure, locked down beyond all imaginations, so secure it's not even powered on.
0: <laughs> it's so secure it's useless. The most secure thing there is.
1: The trouble is that's just one device. But you've got dozens of devices, if not hundreds, if not thousands, right? And we'll talk about it more, but advanced threats and advanced persistent threats in particular make a very good living doing small things across a large environment over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And increasing visibility across that whole environment is what's important. So antivirus, not enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Microsoft themselves admits that antivirus is only 18% of an effective security story. And in terms of what people can do, even if you have AV on your system, Arista says that 50% of breaches show no evidence of malware. So, you know, these are zero days, these are the day befores, these -hmm. are people that made a mistake and forgot to update their signatures, what have you. So... The next logical step was EDR, but EDR, like I just said, is not a global view. So the Microsoft thing we talked about, XDR plus SIM. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, using the tools, also important. But in your network, if you got to know everything that's there, right? Arista made a great point about including rigid rules around infrastructure inventory. So, for example, if you forget that you have a test SolarWinds virtual machine on your network, guess what? That virtual machine has been auto-updating. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not paying for it, it's still on your network, which means that you're at risk for the solar winds attack. Right. And considering that Arista State's 50% or more, on average, on-site devices are not, in fact, managed, there's a lot of people that are going to be at risk of this.
0: Yeah, it's that, um, you know... It used to be the story of the developer who stood up a server in a corner or in a closet somewhere because they wanted to run some piece of software and they couldn't wait for the procurement process to happen. Right. And then with the advent of the cloud, that exploded because now the developer doesn't even need to go through the process of buying a server and hiding it under their desk. They can just click through the Azure portal and set up a point to site VPN to an Azure VNet where they can run whatever the heck they want. So yeah, getting your arms around the inventory of devices that you're running in your network, that's really hard to do and increasingly more difficult to do.
1: So to that point, Arista and Juniper, pretty network-specific companies. Fair? Uh, Fair, yes. That's kind of what they do. (laughs) The way that I would summarize what they talked about was effectively making your entire network your threat detector,
0: Mm.
1: not one individual switch, not one individual firewall, the entire network itself. Okay. And that's where all this interconnectivity comes together. So Arista had an exciting announcement, uh, an acquisition of a threat modeling software company called Awake Security. And I'm summarizing a lot here, but the idea was whatever Arista devices you have, you either get the summaries from the on switch device itself Or you tap the line and send the packets separately. Either way, it depends on how old your switch is. One can work in the newer stuff, one can work in the older stuff. There are questions about bandwidth. We don't need to get into it. It's networking stuff. Come on. Sure. Yeah. Either way, you get all this information into the nucleus module, which is what awake technology or awake security brings the aforementioned acquisition. Then you can do that centralized threat modeling and assessment across your entire network either way you're getting deep packet inspection and modeling directly from every facet of your network infrastructure and as they said in their talk the campus network itself can now do threat detection on par with the most sophisticated point solutions
0: Interesting. Yeah, I know there have been a lot of different attempts at this in the past because the whole idea of everything has to traverse the network, so that should be your point for data collection, Uh, but it's become more complicated in part because a lot of protocols are using some sort of encryption. So, you know, tapping into that stream, decrypting it is a challenge. You have to have a proxy or something in the middle that's that's looking at that traffic. Uh, And then you have traffic that might not even be traversing a physical wire because it's running between two virtual machines on the same host or two containers in the same pod or two pods on the same node. Like, there's a lot of difficulty here. And then if it's, you know, this is for Arista switches, but what, you know, what are the chances that everything in your campus is going to be Arista?
1: Well, if you talk to an Arista salesperson, they're going to say a hundred (laughs) percent, obviously. Obviously. But for the
0: rest of us who have to live in something approaching the real world, the, the closest facsimile we have, you're probably going to have, you know, even if Arista is your core network, your campus switches are probably going to be something different.
1: Yeah. And that's an interesting point that, you know, Microsoft was asked that question and they kind of dodged it as well. It's like, uh, Sim can talk to all these different things so elegantly and so perfectly. Like, well, what about third-party switches? Oh, we can do syslog. (laughs) I mean, that's great. It's great that the connectivity is there, but obviously the intent is if you're an Arista shop, you're going to use all of Arista. If you're a Microsoft shop, you're going to use as much Microsoft as humanly possible. And like you're saying, I wonder how realistic that is.
0: Not that realistic at the moment,
1: but I... I
0: see where they're going with it, and I think if if this was a Cisco product, you might actually have a good chance of being an entirely Cisco shop just because of the history of Cisco in the long term. You want to go ahead and mute your Slack at all? Or? No, no. I like just having those Slack notifications bouncing in as loudly as possible. <laughs> and so mellifluous. Yes.
1: See what I did there? I I do. So right. very similar to what Arista did, uh, Jun- Juniper had a similar conversation about a security platform as opposed to an individual security product. So the Juniper connected security platform is basically this what we've been talking about. Half of it is security is the network, and the other half is everything needs to communicate. No product, no vendor can be an island. Multiple products from multiple vendors must interoperate. And threat profiling only works when everything on the network is accounted for. And how do they do this? Or how do they propose to solve the problem? Magic? Well. Elves. I was going to say credit card, but your answer is right too. Okay taking all the information that is general to all your sites in your environment into their ATP cloud and scanning it as a whole. So in this way your own infrastructure can inform the way you build your security policies in a way that is specific to your network. It does this of course with drum roll please. AI and ML that was a cat. It's all I got man. <laughs> AI and ML To define what is your network's normal traffic. And since it's seeing all the packets, it can do a better job of telling you when it establishes these baselines, when there is traffic that isn't normal. Even if the packets are encrypted, like you were saying, there's still plenty of metadata and plenty of correlation that can be done.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sound familiar? Yeah. Once again, I mean, they actually did talk a little bit more about everything coming into the same place in terms of third parties and multiple vendors and recognizing that Juniper is not the only company in the world. I mean, they did it reluctantly, but they did it. <laughs> of course. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. What is your overall take on this situation? Cause I feel like it was the same story told in different flavors based on the vendor, but it was the same story.
0: It's a tale as old as time, you know, uh, I'll be Belle, you be the beast. I knew it. Uh, this is the conceptually, this is not new, right? What's new and different is the tools and software available to do it. And by that, I'm talking about the AI ML component that has that technology and its capabilities have matured a lot over the last five years to the point where it actually can kind of do what it says on the label. Whereas before it was, you know, sprinkling magic fairy dust, right? Yeah. So I think that's it's time to look at this solution again. Uh, The biggest problem you're going to have is the herding cats problem of actually trying to get all your data in the same place, especially if your cats are from different vendors.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if a lot of these initiatives are really not so subtly trying to push people in the direction of why would you have different vendors?
0: It's not subtle at all. It's the same thing that we saw with any of the proprietary sort of solutions that have rolled out that grudgingly work with other, you know, different vendored solutions, but always a poor and less enjoyable experience. So why don't you just, you know, next time you're going to do a big capital expenditure, why don't you go with our solution instead of theirs? Honestly, I think to a certain degree, a lot of the public cloud titans have, they're all pushing a on-prem solution that extends their public cloud. And in that way, they're being vendor neutral in terms of hardware and pushing it all through software. And I feel like maybe that's the best play is to not be a hardware
1: company to begin with. All hardware is best when it is virtualized in software, right? Sure. We'll get with that. <laughs> <laughs> Except when it's not. <sighs> that's the kind of aphorism I can live by. Okay. Everything is except when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Ned Bellavance. Words to live by. Get it tattooed on the back of your eyelids. So we talked a bunch about network. One thing that was interesting was hearing some vendors talk about this kind of idea around security from a different perspective. Racktop is a company that talked about security and overarching, paying attention to what all different actions are happening, but from the data layer. Hmm. Okay. There is an argument to be made that security is the most important part of your infrastructure. Now, ordinarily this argument is made by your security architect, but hear me out here. Okay. What is it that hackers are truly after aside from Mountain Dew red (laughs) code, red code. Oh my goodness. (laughs) uh they are after your
0: informations whether that's to exfiltrate it and use it or to lock it up with ransomware and make you pay for it
1: right and where is your informations
0: it, it is on that it's on the, the, the discs the your space.
1: informations is on your storages that is correct okay as racktop eloquently puts it hackers aren't trying to steal your network they're trying to steal your data and it's a good point. And too many systems for too long have been designed with one idea. And that is a very robust, crunchy outer shell. Firewalls, IDS, DPI, even some of the SIM type of protections or the um, EDR type of protections out, facing outwardly. You mm-hmm. can't come in. But you know, when it comes to the actual data itself, the things on disk that protect your files and directories and zips and what have you. What are we relying on? ACLs on Samba shares? Some people don't even have that. You know, a data oriented attack, an attack that is specifically trying to exfiltrate data, it deserves a data oriented protection. And that's the philosophy that Racktop brought to. Starting this company, um, and what they did was design a NAS solution. So it's still unstructured data; it's still SMB shares and NFS. Mm-hmm. They have some plans to do other things, but that's what it is. One of what a hundred thousand companies that can do that? Yeah, that's not exactly special, <laughs> right? But what they did instead was design a security platform first, and that security platform is called BrickStore SP. Guess what the SP stands for? secure protection security platform i just said it oh i wasn't (sighs) paying attention (laughs) that's fair so it's basically the brick store sp is basically all of the acronyms that you can think of sim soar ips ids all jammed into the data layer and protecting your files natively and what's cool about it is it can be run anywhere they have an appliance for the cloud or for your virtual machines they have something you can buy a turnkey box that you can put into your uh, you know your rack on prem mm-hmm. or you can just download the operating system and install it wherever oh okay so if you have old disk lying around you can use it if you've got you know a, a block storage san with some type of a front end that you can reinstall the operating system boom you've got this thing going and what they're trying to do is build what they call active defense storage protection. Okay. So the, this is a term that's worth discussing. The easiest example to decide what, whether you're thinking of active versus passive is a backup. You've heard of backups. Yeah. Yeah. You've never used them, of course, because no, who no. does? No, no, no. <laughs> Why waste all that storage? Am I right? Totally. But if you have an incident, in the back of your mind, backups is how you're going to recover. And that's good. Backups are still important. In the worst possible case scenario, you need to have a known good backup to recover from. That could be the difference between being offline for a week and being offline forever. Backups, though, don't protect you from an attack. They protect you from stuff that is really hard to predict or things that you can't control force majeure type of events, buildings falling down a tornado landing in your front yard. Half your house being a little on fire. A completely random occurrence, (laughs) but that's, they're just sitting there waiting to be used in the event of one of these disasters. They're not doing anything. They're not, they're not putting the fire out. Active protection takes steps that will help in that direction. Um, They try to gather information about who is accessing or trying to access your data. And if there's an attempt that is outside of either the approved transactions list or to the machine learning we were talking about before, something that is wildly out of character for your network, it will alert you about it in real time. The goal being stop an attack on your data as soon as possible, rather than recovering hours or days after the attack has been completed. Okay. So one reason this is really important is we have the crunchy outer shell, and that's great. But the trouble is the modern danger to an organization is an insider threat. So the NIST defines an insider threat as a threat that an insider will use his or her authorized access, whether wittingly or unwittingly, to do harm to the security of organizational operations and assets. The reality is attacks are done by someone who's gotten behind that crusty outer shell already. Now, that you know we're doing fantastic. 99% of attacks are protected by that crusty outer shell. But that 1% that's successful are the ones that are our problem. Wittingly or unwittingly is a telling phrase too. You can easily have somebody who's disgruntled and wants to download as much as they can onto a thumb drive and walk out the door in a fit of peak. Mm -hmm. But you will also have the person who accidentally brought in a BYO device compromised by malware and is now running on your corporate network, which is probably a flat VLAN. Or as we said above, a forgotten piece of kit that's running in your data center, making you an unwitting victim of an advanced persistent threat. They all have the same feature, which is they're behind the shell. They can go find your data, take your data, and then set everything else on fire on the way out. Man, this is an arson-filled episode, isn't it? It really is. (laughs) So this is where the auditing of your actual data and the actual files and Access attempts is important. Who's accessing your data and why and when? Is this data access out of character? Do we want to shut it down immediately until an admin understands what happens and approves it? Think about it this way. You usually shop on the East Coast, say the King of Prussia area. If you go to the mall, you buy a few things, your credit card company is going to allow normal purchases to go through no problem. You're at Sephora, you grab a Froyo at Pinkberry, normal Ned behavior. How do you have been spying on me, sir? I've seen if the drone. <laughs> if 10 minutes later, somebody tries to buy an airline ticket at the counter at LAX, your credit card company is going to decline that purchase and call you or contact you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And why are they doing that? Because this is far outside your normal purchases and geographically impossible, considering you just bought. You know, a diet vanilla, small. Medium. (laughs) (laughs) They're paying attention to your activity in real time and applying logic to the decisions that you're making in terms of the purchases. Mm -hmm. And they stop massive transactions or ones that are wildly out of character pending further authorization. Now, sometimes this can be annoying. There could very well be a reason that this could happen. But most of the time, it's better for them to stop that expensive purchase, call you, confirm, rather than having to fight back tens of thousands of dollars of purchases. So that's the philosophy. Rectop watches your users. You have a list, you know, an ACL, whatever you want to call it. They keep track of transactions in terms of data access. And if there is something that is wildly out of character and you've enabled the maximum security, because this is not something that has to be there, mm-hmm. it'll stop the download or it'll stop the delete right? and right. alert your security and, and storage teams that something is amiss. <laughs> it's interesting because,
0: again this is a solution that has been around for a, this idea for a solution has actually been around for a while. When I was working, uh, like my second tech job doing like desktop and server support, we had this problem of people accidentally dragging whole folders to a different network drive on their computer and then having to fix it after the fact. And we were getting pretty frustrated at this. And so obviously not ransomware but why? Uh, anyway. Uh, so we investigated different solutions that were out there that would track what was happening and could also automatically stop some actions and could also apply consistent permissions if permissions got out of whack all that kind of stuff but we actually did find a solution that claimed to do a lot of this stuff that you know this solution is claiming to do right here so racktop it's not a brand new idea but I think we're getting back to the core of the problem which was this was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago when we were looking at the solution, and they couldn't live up to the hype, right? They had all these ideas of how they wanted to implement the solution, so it would automatically detect, you know, strange things happening with your file shares, but it couldn't do it at scale, and it couldn't do it in real time. Right. Now we have the capabilities for both of those things to happen because the hardware and the software has caught up to the idea. So I, definitely worth, worth looking into. And, you know, maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe you're monitoring your network and you're, you know, watching your storage, uh, you know, uh, layers of
1: protection. Right. Yeah, and one other thing that's worth discussing about Racktop is they're making it very easy for people to dip their toe in and start small, which a lot of vendors don't do. So, first of all, they have a 90-day full enterprise feature-enabled free trial. That's, and it's uh, not that's just – yeah, and it's not the kind of free trial where they're just like, download it, let us know how it goes, please give us your credit card as soon as possible. <laughs> when, you down, when you do the free enterprise trial, you have access to their uh, engineering team. Oh, and They will help you with setting it up. They will talk about design. They will talk about disaster recovery because all the features of a regular NAS type of software exist, and they're, again, still important. But it's not like you're out on an island. Um, Their pricing structure is subscription-based, revolving around the total storage consumed across all of your installations. So you can have a massive, you know, two petabytes here, but only one to two terabytes in a remote office or whatever. And it's just that total number that they charge you on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your mileage may vary. I am not a lawyer, ROFL, BBQ, but ballpark figures floated around $500 per terabyte per year. Which is not bad. No, I mean, especially if you're using it
0: against your most sensitive data, which is probably not going to be everything. That's true, too. Yeah. So that's Racktop. Okay. Uh, Shall we round the lightning? We should. Catch lightning? Would that be the ball lightning round? The ball
1: lightning round. Love it. (laughs) Oh. AMD acquires Pensando right out from under HPE's nose. Unlike many of the Silicon Valley acquisition stories that we talk about, I'm actually familiar with Pensando. This makes me feel smart. But like many Silicon Valley acquisition stories we talk about, I would never have predicted this. This makes me feel dumb. Mm. In short, Pensando makes an on-NIC packet processing ASIC that has strong security features baked right into the card. Recently, they expanded this product to the Aruba CX10,000 switch line. This led people to assume that since HPE owns Aruba, an HPE purchase of Pensando was right around the corner. AMD took one look at that potentiality, though, and said, (laughs) "Nah." and swooped in with nearly $2 billion to grab Pensando instead. This is an interesting play. Pensando is a barely five-year-old company with deep Cisco roots in the boardroom. And AMD is effectively playing with house money, considering the explosion in their value over the past few years. Oh, and Pensando means thinking in Italian. Who's got a calendar now, Ned?
0: My calendar's better. (laughs) more better good i actually saw pensando present at one of the cloud field days because they were really excited about their dpu i guess we're calling them now uh yeah i I refuse to use that acronym okay that's fair so you know it's just it's an asic that does processing and it's probably you know installed as somewhere on the motherboard as what would typically be a NIC. Right. When we went, when we attended the presentations, the basic thought that all of us came away with was this is not a company that's going to make a go of it on its own, it is going to be acquired and they are building themselves to be acquired by somebody else. The only question was whom? And the answer for us was mostly either Cisco or HPE. And so for AMD to scoop in makes sense. Now that Intel has their IPU strategy, NVIDIA has their DPU strategy. AMD's like, well, I guess we're a chip maker. We have to have one of these. We'll go out and buy it. But, uh, it was not what anybody was thinking, right? Apple planning a hardware subscription service because a $2.8 trillion market cap just isn't enough much like any primo smartphone. These days, the average Apple iPhone is expensive like eight to twelve hundred dollars expensive and at that rate it stands to reason that people would want to hold on to it longer right well spoiler alert they are even though apple still pulls in record profits with every release the pace of those profits growth is actually slowing down they're still making a ton of money it's just like not growing as fast so Apple and in their infinite wisdom sees this happening and decides that less profit is bad and so enter a subscription model you guessed it everybody you get a car you get a car you get an iPhone and much like the least car model you will soon be able to get a new iPhone when it comes out all at the low low price of paying Apple x amount of money forever. And, of course, there'll be a small premium back to Apple, effectively meaning that you'll be paying Apple something like 40% more than the device would be worth if you purchased it outright. But can you really put a price on convenience? Yes. Yes, you can. Plus, think of all the other Apple things you can buy with your Apple points from the Apple subscription, which, of course, you'll be financing on your Apple card. And, oh, no, I've gone cross-eyed. Damn. And And other news... Did you
1: see that Apple is trying to get into the financing
0: game too? This is not surprising at all. They are essentially <laughs> a financial company that makes hardware at this point. Right. I'm sure Google will have something like this. Short can't action. wait. I think they already do. I can't remember what it's called, though. <laughs> eh, it doesn't matter. They're going to kill it in a year anyway.
1: Sing. Red Hat open sources stack rocks. Securing containers has never been open sourcier Whoa. Security in containers has oh, well, actually, Ned, I'll I'll let you take this one. Um,
0: so uh, something about containers and and Kubernetes being two different things. Uh, that's important to know. Uh, what? Okay, so Stack Rocks. What does it do? It scans. The security of your container and Kubernetes setup. So on the container side, it can scan an image repository that has all your container images for known CVEs, and you know if you have security policies, it can scan for that stuff. Uh, it can integrate with the build process that you have for your containers. So you know when code checks in and your pipeline kicks off, StackRox can be part of that pipeline to run these automated scans before the image is even built. And then there's components that you install into your Kubernetes or OpenShift cluster to monitor applications that are being deployed and prevent them from being deployed if they violate some policies you have defined somewhere. Exactly, and that's that helped. That helped everyone. I, of course it did. Everybody loves it. In fact, Red Hat sure, sure seems to think so because they bought Rocks last year for however much money they paid I didn't look it up it doesn't matter uh, but they did buy it and Red Hat has a commitment to keeping all of their software open source and I believe Stack Rocks was not open source at time of acquisition so they spent some time did some code cleanup got all the things in place that they need to present it as open source and now it is available as an open source project on GitHub And it also has been renamed the Red Hat Advanced Cluster Security uh, product for their enterprise
1: OpenShift platform. For sure. So now that it is open source, we can all expect... um... Well, uh, mostly
0: to watch the former StackRox team ignore long-standing issues in GitHub while favoring features no one really wants but someone with enough political sway is able to push through. So that's that's what you get to look forward to. And you could work for Red Hat for free by working and contributing to the code that's available in open source.
1: And after the announcement, the whole internet ran around with sparklers and cheered. Yeah, you're, you're literally not listening to a word I'm saying, are you? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, but containers though, right? Security, wow.
0: The Microsoft Global MVP Summit was last week, and I can't tell you anything about it because I am under NDA. Heck, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to tell you about the summit. Uh, Oh, that's strange. I would heard a knock at the door. Let me go check.
1: Due to technical difficulties, Ned will be indisposed for an indeterminate period of time. Huh. Okay. So, um... Let's go ahead and move on. For example, there are only 25 blimps in the world, says young smarty pants running my new favorite Twitter follow. Taking a break from pure tech to talk about the delightful at depths of wiki account, which exists solely to mine the weirdest of the weird from the wikiest of the pedias. Now, I am well aware that this project started out as an Instagram page, but since Meta is the devil and us here at CL don't cotton to that kind of skullduggery, Twitter it is. Depths of Wiki's mission is simple. Share fun things that you didn't know were on Wikipedia. They can be full articles or even just hilariously matter-of-fact image descriptions, diagrams, or tables in quote-unquote regular articles. Things wondrous like, quote, hundred thousand dollar masterwork painting bought at a store for $500 and used as set dressing in the Stuart little film to the hilarious quote practical joke involving completely blocking someone's doorway with phone books to the very ESPN eight quote extreme ironing which combines the thrills of an outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt I don't know what this means for me as a person or for us as a society, but Nabbit, I'm here for it. Oh. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm back I'm, and nothing
0: happened. Everything is fine.
1: Let's How do you have four black eyes?
0: <laughs> it, they asked me to open my third. I can't talk about it. I, I, moving on. Bad lip reading tech interview edition. There's a, there's a fun article on the new stack delving into the world of the professional interviewer. This is someone who interviews for other people, something you shouldn't do. Over the years, numerous people have told a story about interviewing and hiring someone over the phone only to have a completely different human being actually report for work. Now you'd think that our era of video conferencing would have fixed that, but alas, no. Instead, there have been multiple accounts of the interviewee trying to mouth the words that someone else is saying in response to a question, blaming the strange timing on lag or bad internet. That means somebody else is actually doing the audio channel while they are just presenting themselves on the video. Uh, Some other interviewees instead refuse to turn on the camera, citing COVID problems, and others might turn the camera off before they answer a question claiming a glitch or bad tech. There's a whole host of things to look out for if you're the hiring manager, for instance, uh, long pauses after asking a question where they might look like they're listening to an earbud in their ear, Uh, the mouth not lining up with what they're saying, a refusal to turn on the camera, missing or partial contact information, too many in-demand skills, a conveniently packed resume, Uh, dates that don't add up, or a resume that doesn't match the candidate's social profile. Hmm, lots of things to look for. A whole uh, article by Focus Global Talent Solutions has a complete list of things to watch out for and a fun little TikTok as well. The primary driver behind this behavior is recruiting firms. Of course it is. They get paid on placement. Sometimes it's placement with the uh, employer and sometimes it's payment from the person trying to get a job and regardless of how well that placement turns out for either party they get paid so caveat employer i guess don't hire anyone ever is the, the message that i took away from that that's my philosophy and it's one i've been following for a few years now works out well all right so hey thanks for listening or or something uh i guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end so congratulations to you I, friend i think we can I can call you a friend now. You, you, you've spent some time with us, and you accomplished something today. You, you are a powerhouse. Dino. A vivacious consummator. Um, maybe not that last one? Consummator? But that, that's isn't that someone who brings projects to completion? Maybe check some of the other definitions. Oh, okay. Hold on. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> maybe that too I'm not here to be all objur I can't say that word <laughs> you put that in there on purpose objurgatory 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 all right any words that start with OB I have a real problem with except for obtuse and I'm not trying to be difficult. <laughs> You can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and Hainer80, respectively. Or you can follow the show if that's the kind of thing you're into, you weird sicko. Show notes are available at ChaosLever.com. If you like reading things, which you shouldn't, podcasts continue to be better in every conceivable way. Week after week, they are just number one. Uh, We'll be back next week to see what fresh fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now.